It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, February 21st, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. 13 new COVID cases were reported in Sitka on Wednesday and Thursday based on data from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Sitka's weekly case average fell to 29. It's the lowest the rate has been since December, but the community remains in high alert for now. That means the mask mandate is still in effect for indoor public spaces. The mandate is set to expire on March 22nd. Since the start of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 2,182 coronavirus cases, 29 hospitalizations, and six deaths. Rates for public utilities could increase more than usual this year. When the Sitka Assembly met on Thursday, it reviewed the budgets for the city's enterprise funds, like electricity and water that users pay for, and found that inflation was pushing expenses above the increases already built into the regular rate structure. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Each year, it's the Assembly's job to set the rates for the city's enterprise funds. And in the last couple of years, they've kept rate increases hovering at around 2% for Sitka's water, wastewater, and electric utility customers. This budget cycle is different. Prices have risen significantly across the country. Over the last year, the consumer price index increased by 7.5%, and inflation hasn't been at this rate since the early 80s. So that puts the assembly in a tricky spot. The standard 2% increase won't keep the funds healthy, to quote the city's finance director. But assembly member Kevin Mosher was wary of passing on steep cost increases to Sitkins who are already feeling the sting of inflation. And I understand we need to keep these funds healthy. But we have to realize, and like Stephen said, talking about the user groups, the people's ability to digest these things. Um, people have had it rough the past couple of years. Very rough. And with the inflation, the, the high inflation, as, as you mentioned, that means <clears throat> people are having less to use for food uh, and pay these bills. Um, and I think some jobs are increasing their, um, their wages, but not all of them at that, at that speed. So effectively, people are losing money um, daily. City staff presented several options for each fund, with proposed rate increases anywhere from around 2 to upwards of 8%. Finance Director Melissa Haley said the most complicated fund is Harbors. Mortgage rates have gone up more quickly than the other enterprise funds, as the Assembly has tried to play catch-up after years of no increases, and continues to plan for major harbor replacement within the next decade. Assemblymember Crystal Duncan asked for clarification around the staff's recommended rate increases, which ranged from 5 to 9 percent. And again, I just want to make sure that this fund, all we're doing is we're trying to keep it as close to, it's not healthy. We're not going to take it into healthy range with these numbers. We're just trying to keep it as close as we can to, how would you sum it up? I think I would, I would say that, um, I mean, this fund could use every penny it can get. The Solid Waste Fund has its challenges too. Sitka ships all of its waste off the island on Alaska Marine Lines through the contractor Republic Services. The cost to ship garbage was rising even before the current inflationary trend, and recently it's become even more expensive as AML tries to curb the risk of shipping fires at sea. To get ahead of the rising costs, Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis suggested they raise solid waste rates by 10 percent. Every indication that I've been seeing um, indicates that the cost of shipping is going to go up. Um, The fuel surcharge on AML on a a business rate right now is 15 percent. Um, I believe that the cost of oil 
is going to continue to rise, therefore the price of fuel. Um, I, I don't believe that AML is going to be reducing our shipping rates anytime soon, and I want to get ahead of that. I want this fund to have some money um, because this has always been the one that um, doesn't even break even. This has been the fund that uh, has to borrow from other funds continuously, and I, I don't think that that's a, a reasonable solution anymore. Eisenbeiss's motion failed, and the Assembly went instead with a staff recommendation to raise solid waste rates by over 7 percent next year. Although the Assembly indicated its preferences with city staff, the rate increases they discussed are far from finalized. Assembly members can vote to adjust the rates at any time between now and when the final budget is passed later this spring. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose. You can read a breakdown of the Assembly's rate recommendations and how they voted on our website at kcaw.org. While there's no single experience that defines being Black in America, the Black experience in Alaska encompasses a relatively small demographic, each of whom has a unique story to tell. In honor of Black History Month, KCAW's Tosh Kimmel explores what it means to be Black in a small Alaskan town. In part one of our series, Black in Sitka, Kimmel meets with tribal transportation manager and owner of Extravagant Eggs, Nalani James. Um, I'm relatively new to Alaska within the last three years, but I've spent seven summers in Yakutat, Alaska. This was an instance of meeting someone, you fall in love, it turns out that they come from Alaska. He vowed to move back home, and I had a few choices of where we were set to move, so I settled on Sitka. Oftentimes people ask me, where did you come from? That's like the age-old question, and it's really hard to answer, but... I originally come from Los Angeles, California, and the area that I grew up in was a predominantly black area, kind of like New York, where you have boroughs of areas of the Jewish community or Hindu community. Those things infiltrated themselves into my everyday life. So when I look at people and I go about the everyday with living in Alaska, I don't necessarily have that. That I do notice. I wish it wasn't as polarized. With that said, I do want to be noticed for the mere fact that I am different, but it's a different sort of recognition that I like to have for that, where it's not, is she capable? Is she able? Those are the things that I don't want to be associated with my blackness. I think a lot of people don't really know what it means to be black. And that's why I really like when, when kids see me, because kids talk to me, kids ask, ask questions, you know, you look different, can you tell me about yourself? You know, I know you wear that wrap on your head and, and they ask and I tell them, you know, I just give them the jest of, I just wanna be seen as a person and not as my hair. And usually black people are seen for their, you know, beauty instead of their mind and their talent. I don't want to be judged on those things. Now, my two children, they are Clinkett, Navajo, and Black, as well as having Japanese ancestry. It's funny, when we go back home to L.A., one time we rolled down the window and my daughter said, wow, there's a lot of Black people. And she was only about 10 years old. So if she notices it without me saying anything, yeah, this is something that it is a concern for mine. But honestly, I think I offer enough blackness for one, even maybe even 60 people. 
So <laughs> that's something that, honestly, I have thought about. I just want her and, and my son to have good friends. I don't want them to be seen as people of color, first and foremost. I want them to be seen as people who have value. And by the way, they are multi-ethnic, multicultural. They, they have experienced some, some racist things. And they've been asked the question, is that your mom? Are you adopted because of their skin tone? But I knew that was set to happen. And these are the things that as a person of color, you look at your child when they're born and you know the conversations that you have to have. So the conversations in my household are different than conversations in white households. A lot of times people want to try and quantify what blackness is. And there's, there's a lot of things to go with being black. Being black sometimes is mentally exhausting. And there's a certain warmth that I know that we offer. It's kind of a shame that we have such a small population of black people. I'd say just treat us just like anybody else in a kind, generous way. That was Tribal Transportation Manager Nalani James speaking with KCAW's Tosh Kimmel for our series, Black in Sitka. In part two of this series, we'll meet lifelong Sitkin Christian Jensen. Ketchikan School Board will review the district's investigation into allegations of racism in the stands at a high school basketball game against the Metlakatla Chiefs. That's according to Interim Superintendent Melissa Johnson. She says the school district recently completed its investigation into the February 5th basketball game against Metlakatla High School on the state's only native reservation. A probe was launched following complaints of Ketchikan's pep club members dressed in Western wear. Some accused the Ketchikan fans of antagonizing their longtime rivals by stereotyping themselves as cowboys and their opponents as Indians. The pep club apologized last week. In an interview, senior pep club member Colin Hudoff said the club meant no harm and regretted the pain the incident had caused. We are sorry for, for what's happened. And, and if we could go back and, and change the country theme and, and anything that happened that was any sort of offensive or, or known as racism, then we would. Some in the audience alleged they'd heard stereotypical war cries during the game. Hudoff says he didn't hear anything of that nature. But the pep club has acknowledged barking during free throws. Senior pep club member Dylan Nedzwecki said it's something they do to distract the opposing players. He said it had nothing to do with the Western theme or their opponents. We've done it the whole season. No, like, malicious intent. It's just a noise we can all do that we know how to do to try to throw off the other team. Ketchikan's interim superintendent, Melissa Johnson, said in an email that she will brief the school board on February 23rd behind closed doors on the district's probe of the incident. Johnson said personnel and disciplinary matters are confidential. It's unclear whether any findings of the district's investigation would be made public. Johnson declined to immediately answer questions. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.